0: From the Montana Kyman, University of Montana's independent, student-run newspaper, this is the Kyman Cast for the week of September 27th. I'm Austin Amistoy. Montana House Bill 102 was a flashpoint in the state legislature this year, sparking fierce debate over the need for concealed and open carry on college campuses. The bill sailed through the Republican-dominated House and Senate on party lines, but was quickly challenged in court, where it remains today, locked in legal limbo. HB 102 seeks to allow Montanans to carry firearms nearly anywhere in the state. And while the partisan battle lines seem clear-cut in Helena, the opinions of Montanans and politicians outside the Capitol are more complicated. This week, Kaiman Arts and Culture editor Clarice Larson talked to Montanans from the Capitol to the cornfield, cutting through the politics of guns and discovering the divergent realities of life in gun country. Clarice, welcome to the Kaiman cast. I hope you're bringing us some piping hot culture today, courtesy of the Arts and Culture section. Oh, you betcha, Austin. Well, Clarice, this story you reported is another headliner in our special series, In the Crosshairs, where we're exploring Montana's history and relationship with guns and how those factors led to House Bill 102. I know that for this story, you had the unenviable task of pushing aside all the political discourse around HB 102 and getting to the heart of the matter, which is really, how did Montana's culture and attitude toward guns lead to House Bill 102? And I know you came at this question from an outsider's perspective. So I want want to start and finish today's conversation with you, Clarice. Tell me about how you saw Montana before and after you came here for school and what you thought about House Bill 102 when you first heard about it.
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm originally from Minnesota, just outside the Twin Cities. And honestly, I came to school here because I'd never seen mountains and it was pretty here. And I was like, this seems like a good place. And um, yeah, I fell in love with Missoula. I fell in love with Montana. It's just so great here. So um when I go home a lot of the times you know my uncle or my young know, grandpa would be like oh did you go to the rodeo did you you know w- what do you what do you do in Montana like are you are you hunting what are you doing I'm like I'm like studying I'm in my my apartment right now um you know <laughs> writing a story I, and so a lot of people have these like weird connotations about Montana at least where I'm where, where I'm from that it's like like the wild west out there. It's like you know no, it's 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 a lovely place to be and and it's a place that I call home and um and so when I when we first talked about doing this story, it sounded pretty simple. You know, I, I thought it was gonna be um just kind of analyzing what Montana is, and then I got deeper into the story and I was like, oh man, this is <laughs> a really hard story to talk about. So when I first heard about Houseboat One Hundred and Two, I um I was on the phone with my mom and I was like, hey mom, like. Yeah, I'm like, there's a story going around um, that guns are gonna be allowed on campus, you know, without a permit. And my mom is like, what the hell? And I was like, you're telling me I live here. And she's like, like, what the hell? And I'm like, I know, I know, mom. Like, mommy, settle down. It's okay. Um, Missoula's safe. Like, I, I, I don't know why this is happening, but I truly believe Missoula is safe and I'm, I'm safe on campus. Um, and so going into this story, I kind of question like, who are the people that you know, want these guns on campus? Is it, is it just kind of like Montana culture that you know just like, you know, nurtures this to happen, or is it, is it like a separate group? Like, who is this? Who who is nurturing this specifically to be on campus? Really was my question. Because um, as a student, I I I was just confused. Really, I was just curious more than anything as a student, and like I wanted to tell my mom, like, hey, mom, this is why it's happening. It's not
0: maybe what you think it is. So, you know, you like I said, you, you're coming at this with an outsider's perspective, which is one of the reasons I think that the Kaiman tasked you with this story, Clarice, is we really wanted someone who's coming from outside, you know, the embedded culture of, um, you know, guns and ranching culture in Montana, which is where we think a lot of this um, background for HB102 came from. So I know you were tasked with the Kaiman Or you were tasked by the Kaiman with answering a lot of your own questions about the real culture and heritage behind that passion for guns in Montana that led to House Bill 102. So, I mean, that's a pretty broad, um, I guess, topic for a story. So I'm wondering where on earth you started with your reporting.
1: Yeah, so I i mean, being from the arts and culture field, I did a lot of art research. So I looked at a lot of um, Charlie Russell paintings. He was a painter, um, you know, painted about Western lifestyle. And so I looked at a lot of his paintings, saw what he depicted, and he's also very famous. He's got a museum in uh, in Montana. So obviously he's got some some roots here. And so I looked at a lot of his paintings and um, I looked at like movie posters from like, you know, Western movie posters, specifically Montana ones. Um and I was kinda like, maybe I just analyze the media. But then the further I analyzed media, I was like, Media's wrong. Like media is not depicting this right. And um who who is depicting it? And so when I looked at media, you see, you know, a lot of like quote unquote like cowboys. And um and you know, cowboys in a sense still exist today, but they're not as big as media is making them out to the be. And so something that I thought would kind of you know bridge the gap between cowboys versus um what reality is 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 what is big in montana and that's ranching ranching life and so um I kind of reached out to a lot of people around campus you know specifically in like the forestry or um agricultural um sex of the of the school and and I found uh, Ada
0: Smith tell me a little bit about this Ada Smith, you know what does she do and um, what, what did she offer you for this story, you know? What, what was her background in relation to the questions you were trying to answer?
1: She's a PhD candidate um, focused on, you know, decision-making, climate adaptation, and roles and voices of women ranchers in Montana. That's what she's studying and focusing on for her PhD. And I was like, I really scored with this horse. Um And, you know, she's from Wisconsin, but she, she grew up going to her um, grandpa's
2: ranch in, ranch in uh, Nine Mile Valley. My family has a background in ranching, but mm-hmm. I am not a rancher myself. Okay, so no, I'm a I'm a social environmental social scientist at this point yeah, in my yeah. life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally, yeah. But I I grew up coming out here So.
1: I and um, you know that his her grandpa, um, his family goes back generations. Um, they came from Norway all the way down to Montana, and that's where they settled. And you know they did um sheep and um cattle, and um, yeah. It's just the the vivid details that she gave me about her grandpa. And the kind of like the shock that I got when I heard about him and kind of the man that he was, I was like, this is not what I pictured when I think of a rancher.
2: He didn't like to see, so he grew up like raising sheep mm-hmm. and he loved his like animals so much, I think, that he never wanted to eat them. Yeah. <laughs> and cute. so yeah. he like hunted. Yeah. Uh, instead.
1: Um. He loved his animals so much because he raised them from little babies um, that he just hunted because he thought it would be, um, it just felt nicer to him to hunt from the land than it did to, um, you know, uh, eat the animals that he raised.
0: And I know, um, Ada also told you a story about, so this kind of unconventional, um, rancher figure, her grandfather, about, um, some wolves he discovered on his property.
1: In, in the 1990s, um, Canadian wolves came down and they, um, kind of landed in, um, Montana, specifically Nine Mile Valley, is when they started to come out. It was 1990, and he was just doing his thing, and he found a den of wolves. Very,
2: like, shocking. Um, yeah, it was yeah. definitely like a moment, uh, you know, where um, some ranchers would <laughs> just choose to like eradicate them, right? Yeah. Um, but my grandpa and his brother Bruce, I mean, they love ranching for. Being on the land, yeah. being close to wildlife, yeah. um, and so they're really curious, and so yeah. they ended up partnering with wildlife biologists, wow. um, Mike Jimenez, who is yeah. here at the university, to study the wolves.
0: And what, what were um, Ada's grandfather's attitudes towards firearms? Because I think that's a you know that's a crucial part of this story we're trying to unpack about ranching and farming in Montana and sort of the the cultural background of firearms. The way
1: that Ada describes him is he's a very he was a very humble guy. Um, he he just didn't really use firearms unless it was for food or for protection against the wildlife. He was in hungry country, you know. There's there's um, cats, you know, bears and and wolves, of course. And so he had to protect when he needed to protect. And um, but you know the way she described him, he wasn't walking around with his rifle in town he was kind of just hanging out i mean it was there but it was never something that he used besides a tool
2: i think right like a rifle in his life was utilized more for just like um, self-protection yeah absolutely because we live in grizzly Grizzly and cat and wolf country Mm -hmm. and so i think there was like the hope that he would never have to use
0: his rifle but Mm -hmm. you know so much of ada's early ideas growing up on this ranch about what a gun was and what it was meant for was shaped by this grandfather who saw guns more as tools than as something to be carried everywhere, right?
1: Yeah, Ada, um, She she's a hunter herself. She just started hunting later in life. And she never really, guns weren't really a big part. It was kind of just like a background thing about ranching for her grandpa. It was just something that had to be done from time to time. Um, but now that she is um, older, she she likes guns and she thinks that there's a, a time and place for them. But from her, from what she's told me, she doesn't think House Bill 102 should be like should let guns be on campus.
0: Clarice, Ada offered you a pretty nuanced view of guns and gun ownership, but I know you also talked with someone who has deep roots in Montana's ranching community, as well as a position of power in the legislature. Yeah,
1: I um, I got the opportunity to talk to Wiley Galt, the Speaker of the House um, for Montana House of Representatives, and um, he... Is very similar in in the ways of Ada's grandfather. You know, his family has Irish heritage. They came from Ireland and and they settled in Montana and they they grew their family farm. They have you know almost over a hundred thousand acres of land across their family, which is pretty wow. pretty big.
3: Yeah, well, I'm a fourth-generation rancher, yeah. so I mean, mm-hmm. we've been at it a long time, long family history of it, and... Uh,
1: of course, it's it's know, spread out between family members, his uncle, his father, um, a few siblings and cousins, but um, his family has been, you know, huge in the ranching community. I mean, his grandfather served in the Senate as well.
3: You know, start my grandpa was in the Senate back in the 70s and 80s mm-hmm. and retired as president of the Senate, so... You know, I grew up, he grew up just across the road. Yeah. So, um, grew up with him, and then it just kind of spurred me into it, and then realized that there's not a lot of agriculture. We joke there's not a lot of boots under the desks anymore.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why did you feel as though Galt was an important person to talk to for this particular story?
1: Yeah, I mean, he has such a big impact on Montana's people. He, you know, he's the speaker of the House, he speaks for the people. And um, I think that's a really powerful position to have. And also, you know, he voted yes on the bill, which is something that I think kind of says a lot and also kind of places a connotation almost on someone. If you vote yes on this bill or if you kind of side with this bill, I mean, from my point of view, as from what I came into the story with, I was like, like, I'm ready to go in there and he's going to have his guns on his hips. But he wasn't like that at all. He was an amazing person to talk to and really changed my perspective
0: a lot. So you and one of our photographers, um, Olivia Swan Johnson, made the drive out to Galt Ranch in Martinsdale. And when you got there, what was it like? We actually
1: drove to the wrong ranch. We drove to his (laughs) uncle's ranch. And so instead of making a three-hour trip, we made like a four and a half hour trip out there. So it was like it definitely dampered the mood a little bit. <laughs> but then we got there and um, we pull up and Wiley's standing at his door in his socks, wearing um, wearing a big belt buckle and a flannel shirt. And so, you know, we sit down with him and he, and I was like, can I record? Like, And he was just so open to everything. And every question we talked to him about, he had just such a well thought out and just honest answer with us. And it was like personable. It wasn't just like, this is what my party thinks. It was, this is what I think as a rancher and as a Montanan. Oh, Don't there's
3: dogs. It's partially in office.
1: We, we hopped in his truck and he gave us a tour of, the, tour of the ranch. And it was one of the most refreshing interviews I've done in a really long time where someone who I thought I had an opposite view of and who I thought was going to be, like, quote-unquote, the antagonist was really just someone who who was a, he was a person, and he, he had his own personal, like, he grew up doing things in, in Montana that, that I didn't grow up doing in Minnesota, but
0: we had such a, you know, all three of us were just really just talking. What did he tell you about how he and his family used... And have used guns in their work.
3: It's we use it for protection. Yeah. I mean, we have a lot of predators out here. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, usually every vehicle has a gun in it. But we are taught at a young age. I mean, we have very strict rules. You get a BB gun first. You yeah. Prove that you can be safe with the BB gun. Yeah. Then you upgrade to a 22, which then you get to go shoot the varmints. So I mean, mm-hmm. we're still guns
1: very... are a necessary tool for what he does. I mean, just driving around the ranch with him, he's like he's got 600 ca- head of of cattle. He needs to um he needs to take care of the land not only to pay for his house but you know to like put food on the table. He kind of talked about guns were just like a normal thing. You know, you get you get your your little BB gun when you're a kid and then when you prove to be safe you go to 22 and then you move up from there. This is something in his family personally. That he took with extreme caution and extreme care it was not a toy i -hmm. mean
3: it's the it's definitely something that we rely on as a tool Yeah,
0: but you know wiley galt the generational rancher is also wiley galt speaker of the house in montana and part of that job means pushing through bills that the party and the leader of the party in this case governor greg gianforte want passed So Galt was in some ways responsible for making sure House Bill 102 made it through the legislature. How did Galt justify the sort of sweeping expansions to gun rights made by House Bill 102 to you? Something that he kind of justified a lot was that
1: Montanans need to put a line somewhere, you know, because he wants to protect responsible gun owners that he believes are in in Montana. He thinks— that the people who are responsible should have the personal freedom to um carry a weapon either concealed or um or not um without a permit because um some people do deserve those
0: liberties in 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 his eyes so i'm hearing a defense from galt that's less about the guns themselves and more about individual liberty you know it's more about the principle of the second amendment to him than glorifying guns and gun owner ownership. Would would you say that's accurate?
1: Yeah, I would say so. He did talk about the Second Amendment, and he talked about how um, it's important to him. You know, as a Montanan, and, and his family's been here for for four generations now. Like he he knows what he's doing on the ranch. You know, he knows what needs to get done, and part of that um, is using a gun on the ranch. And so, from his point of view as a rancher, um, yeah, he wants
0: to protect that right. But I'm also wondering, how does Galt make the jump from owning guns in a ranching setting, you know, rifles and other firearms, to be used as a tool for managing and defending livestock, to believing that firearms also belong on a place like a college campus, which is you know, pretty far removed from the ranch?
1: Yeah, so that was something that, you know, everyone, that's the big question, like, why the college campus? And, um, you know, I can't say that he, he said a pinpoint answer. Something that we talked a lot about was um, some people just feel safer with a gun on their hip, or you know, having a weapon just for safety um, in their in their personal experience. So, so if you could, could speak kind of candidly, I guess, in terms of like, like, do you think that that campus is a good place for guns to be?
3: There, I do believe so, and I mean, I think we did put sideboards that. They have to be trained. They have mm-hmm. to know right. what they're doing. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, and there 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 is a lot of fears and worries that people can have that, you know, I think a gun would make a lot people a lot more comfortable with it. Yeah.
0: So when I look at the perspectives shared by both Ada Smith and Speaker Galt. You know, I see a lot of really surprising similarities between their perspectives on gun ownership. You know, both of them grew up in a setting where guns were fairly common, both spent a lot of time on ranches, and both came to see guns as tools of the trade, really. But despite their similar backgrounds, both have arrived at very different conclusions regarding how far outside the ranch guns should be carried.
1: Yeah, and and that's something that I found just so widely interesting. I mean, Ada is... She is a current student, and um, she just believes that um, there's not a place on a college campus for guns. They should be kept where they're traditionally belonging, um, you know, not in a um, public setting. You know, it's not something that she believes in. And you need to separate them from the arenas where they just don't have a utility as a tool, which she believes um, they do not serve as a tool in a college campus.
2: There's a difference to me in like carrying a rifle as a hunter or as a rancher cuz these are the two communities that I feel like I maybe associate with most and where you would use a rifle. Like mm-hmm. rifles are tools for getting food and or they're tools from, for protection. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, from wildlife in at yeah. you know very last res- yeah. resort type of protection. And the like carrying guns to campus or like around town people, I would want to know what they thought the tool, what would well, be, what what's, the, the tool? what's the tool yeah. for? Yeah.
0: You know, I I be... Clarice, I want you to take a step out of the story for a second with me. You're not from Montana originally. You know, you're an out-of-state student who I believe came into this story with some conceptions of gun culture in Montana yourself. So... To wrap this up, I'm wondering if you could kind of summarize what you learned about the beliefs and passions driving House Bill 102 in Montana. You know, what did you expect and what surprised you?
1: Yeah, so I'm going to be honest here. Like, I, my parents, you know, never owned guns. It wasn't something that was normal in my family. We were not hunting family. And um, I was like really skeptical. I was like, yeah, who thinks this and why? There's people that have been here for generations and a gun has always just been a part of their life, you know? And and I'm only here for four years. And so it's hard for me to justify that I can like fight against people like Wiley Galt who have been here for four generations, because I, I don't know. And so I think a lot of it was just me learning about why Galt feels this way. And, and it really taught me a lot about the utility of a gun and also kind of the measures that go into being properly trained and and the people that take it seriously like Galt. But this really changed my view about what guns mean to Montana and who take it seriously, the responsibility that is gun ownership. And it it really like made me feel good that there's people out there like Galt and and a vast majority of Montanans that use guns as a tool and nothing more.
0: Well, Clarice, thank you for this really deep dive behind the politics of House Bill 102, and thank you for sharing your own insights with us.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Austin. You're the best.
0: Clarice also spoke with one of Montana's senators in DC, Democrat John Tester, about his thoughts on House Bill 102. Tester said he's no stranger to guns as a farmer and a former butcher shop owner for 25 years. He told Clarice he'd shoot cows and pigs every day and that he made a living with his gun. Just like Galt and Smith, he referred to guns as a tool. But Tester expressed concern about the potential unintended consequences of pushing to allow guns on college campuses. So a, a gun is a tool, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and if you
3: know how to use that tool, you can use it for good. If you don't, um, then it could be pretty bad. And um, and I would just tell you that uh, what I said earlier: once you pull that trigger, you pull. You don't. That bullet doesn't come back. It does what
0: that bullet's going to do. You can read Clarice's full report on views from gun country in this week's paper, out on newsstands and our website on Thursday, September 30th. The Kaiman cast is produced and edited by me, Austin Amistoy. Reporting by Clarice Larson. That's it for this week's episode. Next time, the Kyman celebrates Hispanic Heritage Month with the story of a Latino UM forestry professor. I'll see you there.